0: Study time in this book, and and this won't be the first time. Uh, but when when we uh, get through this book, you'll notice from time to time, uh time to time, things get a little interesting. And if you've read ahead, that today is one of those times. I'll remind you that this passage of scripture, though it's given to us, remember in the context of a father sitting his son down and trying to transfer his his wisdom and his experience to his son. He wants to pass that on. What parent here doesn't want to do that, right? We can relate to this approach here. And so we're learning this heavenly truth in the context of a father-son discussion. And when you sit down, your children, and you have these serious talks about life, all sorts of different topics are going to pop up, right? And certainly when you're reading through Proverbs, you see all of these different topics pop up all over the place. And so it's no surprise then that the topic of sex would would surface as you read through the book of Proverbs because our sexuality is such a big deal. So there comes a time in every parent's life in which they gotta sit down and have the talk with their son or daughter, right? And maybe you've had the talk. Well, there comes a time in every pastor's life when he's preaching through the book of the Bible that he also has to have the talk with his congregation. So if you're ever feeling down on yourself or you feel that it's awkward, you have to have the talk with your, with your child, know that a pastor has to have the talk with his child and with the church. So it's, it's doubly awkward uh, for, for me. But why, why do we avoid this? Why, why, is it, why does it feel so taboo to, to even say the word sex whenever you're in a, in a community of God discussing, discussing God's word? It, why does it feel so awkward? It really should not, right? This should not feel awkward. As we read through, and if you've read ahead, maybe some of you are thinking right now, is he going to read verse 19? Let's just see if he reads verse 19. Let's see if he actually says it out loud. Oh, I'm, I'm going to say it out loud. We are going to read it. But this is such an important topic. This is such an important aspect of life. I mean, if there are so many realms of life that I want to counsel my children and, and help them so that they can succeed and, and have peace and life and abundance this especially should be a routine topic of discussion in your household. The, the talk isn't enough. It needs to, you need to be talking about this regularly. It should be a part of the discussion. And so we've seen the tactic of Solomon here in Proverbs. He, he basically puts his son at, at a fork in the road over and over again, saying to his son, hey, listen, You can go this way, and you can have this pattern of behavior. And if you you do that, let me tell you where it leads. It leads to chaos and destruction and death. And then there's an alternative, though. You go down this road, and this pattern of behavior leads to this type of life, and it's peace. And it's life in abundance. And this is wisdom. And, And he identifies these two paths over and over again as the path of folly and the path of wisdom. If you want to be wise, go this way. If you want to be a fool, here's your path over here. And we remember, too, a fool, according to Proverbs, this, it, a fool's problem is not intellectual. It's not that their IQ is low. It's nothing like that. A fool, a fool has a problem of morality. A fool is someone who does not fear the Lord. That's, that's the definition of a fool in the book of Proverbs. It's someone who just says, listen, I, I'm just going to do what I want when I want, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go where I want, and I'm just going to disregard what God says. I'm going to disregard what, how he says we should live and disregard who he is, All right? So, so chapter, chapter 5 is, is a big, important warning to us, saying, hey, listen, you, you can take the foolish path, or you, or path or you can take the, the path of wisdom here, but just know, like, if you take the foolish path when it comes to your sexuality, the, the consequences are extreme, you can ruin your life, but if you take a path of wisdom when it comes to your sexuality, this is the biggest. This is the, the the biggest and best best aspect of life. It's the most beautiful, awesome experience. It can be one of the biggest joys of your life. So will some of this sermon today feel awkward? You betcha. But there's really no risk. There's really no risk when it comes to preaching through the Word of God. Like, do, do we? As we. As we gather as believers, do we believe that this is counsel from God? Do we believe that this is wisdom from above? There's no risk here of me reading the Bible to our families and to to celebrate it together and to learn from it together. This is God's word. This is for our good. And so being true to what it says and working through it slowly, even if it's awkward, it's what's best for us. It's what's best for your kids. So, I mean, let, let, let me say two more awkward things before I get into a bunch of more awkward things. If there, if there is significant sexual sin in your life right now, or significant sexual sin in your past, I'll, I, w- I want you to know today, like, don't, don't run from God. Don't run from God. Run to God. If you're in the midst of sexual sin, or you have significant sexual sin in your past, Teaching like what's in Proverbs 5 may feel especially awkward. But but I just want you to know, like, this is the medicine. This is the medicine for that hurt. This is what brings healing. This is the spiritual therapy that you need. So we're all sinners in this room. We're, we all are in need of redemption and renewal. We need this. So don't run away from God. Run to him. And, and I'll say this too, like, for, for parents that are maybe a, are, are a little nervous, my kid's here, what's he going to say? Uh, it, we, you, you can be sure that this is for your child's protection. Remember what we've learned in Proverbs? Knowledge and wisdom, this is the means by which God protects us from harm. So giving us this awkward point of discussion, this is actually the way God protects us from evil in the world. He shields us, he protects us. I'm glad my boys are here. Now, my boys know they can ask me any question, and I'll give them an answer. They're cautious now. Like, they know that I'll just tell them straight up, but I wanna have that open dialogue. Man, if I'm not answering those questions, somebody else is gonna be answering those questions. It should be a point of discussion routinely. So sometimes I think we Christians get it wrong when we're shielding our kids. We think, well, I gotta shield them in the sense that they are oblivious to all of the wrong in the world. And we do that to a fault. When we think of shielding our kids, we need to start thinking like Proverbs. Hand your kid a shield. Let them know how to shield themselves. Teach them the defense tactics of a believer, the knowledge and the wisdom that keeps us safe, that, that keeps harm away from your family. Teach them how to use the shield. Don't shield them. Give them the shield. And so that's, that's what I'm thinking this morning. I want my boys here to hear this because I want to hand them the shield. Because the arrows are coming. They're already shot, right? They're already in the air. Everywhere you turn in the realm of sexuality, like like Christian, like Bible-believing sexuality is under attack. And so if if they don't have a shield, man, help them out. So I want to help you out today. Let's go for the first six verses in chapter 5. This is a father sitting his son down and warning him about some pitfalls when it comes to sex. He says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is a bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. So here, this kind of, well, not kind of, it does. It presupposes a covenant understanding of marriage. Like in the Bible, there's, just, there's no debate actually whatsoever what the Bible teaches when it comes to uh, covenant marriage and the role that sex plays in that. Uh, that, that. Sex is exclusively for a man and wife in the confines of marriage. If, if you want to have holy sex, sex to the glory of God, it can only happen in the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman. That's how it is articulated in Scripture over and over and over again. Anything outside of those confines. Any sexual activity outside of those confines is what is described as sexual immorality. And so now Jesus takes it even further than that. You go to the New Testament and, and, and appeal to Jesus. He, he says, man, if you even think about it, you've committed adultery. If you, even, if you even think about it, you're already, you're already sinning. But that, That's for a whole other sermon. I, I already preached that sermon in Matthew. You go back and, and listen to that. But this passage mentions the forbidden woman. Now, I know some of you may, may be sitting there thinking, what about the forbidden man? Men can be sexually devious too. Absolutely. Remember the context. The father's sitting his son down. And he's talking to him and warning him about sexual sin. And so absolutely, you should be thinking about just sexual immorality in general. But I love the way that he explains it, how he articulates it to his son. He says this, this forbidden woman, someone who you would be involved with outside of the confines of covenant marriage, her, her lips are like Honey. Her, her speech is smoother than oil. How does he describe sexual immorality? It's appealing. <laughs> it's appealing. That's why I, I, I love the, just the realness of this dad with his son. He's, he's, he's saying, "Hey, her lips are like honey. It's, it's going to look appealing. There's going to come time when that temptation looks good. Speech. Her speech is smoother than oil. There's going to be a point in your life in what's in which." Sexual immorality sounds good. It's gonna look good and sound good. Man, that's teaching your kid how to use a shield right there. That's, that's preparing them for the battle against sexual sin. I mean, that's just honest parenting. We have to do more than just say don't. If, if, if the talk that you got was just, hey, don't have sex outside of marriage, that wasn't a very effective talk. <laughs> I can almost guarantee it didn't work. But Proverbs 5, as well as many other places in the Bible, it takes it, it takes it further than that. It says, hey, let me, let me just tell you, you don't, you don't want the forbidden woman. It, it's going to sound good at times. It's going to look good at times. It's going to be appealing. And I love that he says that because it's just true. But he's saying, don't fall for it. See, when it comes to sexual immorality, the world will say, this looks good and sounds good because it is good. But the biblical worldview says sexual immorality may look good and sound good, but it's not. You see the distinction there. So what the Bible says is actually what looks good and what sounds good is wormwood. That's a really popular word in the Old Testament. A lot of the prophets use that word. Old Testament authors use that word. That is a reference to poison. It's like a poisonous root that you could use to poison someone. And, and, and that happens sometimes in scripture. So he's saying, listen, it, it looks like honey, it sounds good, but it is poison. It's, it's sharp as a two-edged sword. It will wound you and it will wound others. Again, that's just, that's just good parenting. I mean, you think about it like, like if, if after church today, I went to my house and I set my kids at the dinner table and I scooped a scoop of dirt into a bowl and set it in front of them and said don't eat that and left the room what would happen they're not going to eat it because it's dirt it's obviously dirt right there's no risk of them getting in there and be like oh dad's gone let's eat the dirt like that's not going to happen right because there's no appeal there there's no appeal to eating dirt whatsoever but let's say I get a bowl of dirt and then cover it up with cool whip I put Hershey's chocolate syrup all over it. I get the sprinkles out. Emmett will do anything for the sprinkles. I mean, he's, anyway. if it has sprinkles, Emmett's in. <laughs> but if I sat that before them and said, whatever you do, don't eat that. And all they could see was the whipped cream and the Hershey's syrup and the, and the sprinkles. They don't know there's dirt in there. But if I just walk out and say, don't eat that, well, there's temptation there. Well, that looks good. That looks appealing. I, I, I mean, I could see them digging into that in a, little, in a little bit. And then they would learn things the hard way, wouldn't they? This is all about not having to learn things the hard way. It's giving your kids a heads up. If you dig into that, there's dirt in there. That looks really good, but the spoon, when you get it in there, is going to get dirt. All right? You're going to eat dirt. Don't eat dirt. Don't fall for it. That's, this is how we need to prepare our kids. Things that look good aren't always good for us. So don't just say don't, tell them why. Prepare them, help them to identify it. So they don't get fooled. It's just like he's sitting his son down and he's saying, hey, buddy, you are going to be tempted by sexual sin. Make no mistake about it. You are going to be tempted by it. It's going to look good and it's going to sound good, but whatever you do, do not be fooled by it. It will harm you. It will it, it, harm everything you care about. You know, people who engage in sexual immorality, what they're failing to do, right, is ponder the path of life. We, were, we learned this in the previous chapter, but did you notice that the forbidden woman, she is one who doesn't ponder the path of life. And in the previous chapter, his teaching to his son was, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. That's a wise thing to do, especially with sex, where it's it's having the wisdom to ask yourself important questions when you are tempted. Okay, if I walk in this direction, I'm likely to make this mistake, so I'm not going to go in that direction. If I engage in this type of of flirting or something, where, where will this take me? Where does it lead? Well... Proverbs says, it will always lead to regret. Here's what he says next in 7 through 14. Let me t- son, let me tell you where it leads. He says, and now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength. Or your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation." Well, I love, the, I love the advice there. This is what I want my boys to know. Keep your way far from her, he says in verse 8. Do not go near the door of the house. You can always identify, you know, the wrong way, right? And when people go the wrong way when it comes to sexual sin, they knew it was the wrong way, and they went anyway. And so when you can identify that, wisdom is, is, is being able to exercise, hey, I'm not going to go in that direction because I don't trust myself, right? Just like when we pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lord, direct my paths in such a way that I would not end up somewhere where I I would mess up. I'm just so certain that I'm not capable of being holy. And so I'm so certain that I'm going to mess up if I end up in the wrong place. So Lord, don't lead me to places where I just know I would sin. Lead me away from those. This is kind of the same mentality he's saying is to his son. Don't even go near the door. And that's the biggest problem believers have. They think they can go near the door. They think they can tiptoe the line. I'm mature, I would never do this. I'm not gonna do that. This is not me. And so they flirt with disaster. We think flirting with disaster is okay because we think I can just I can maintain control. Well, of course, everyone thinks that. A believer is someone that. Chooses not to believe that. No, if you flirt with disaster, you're going to get fooled. You fooled yourself. Right? Giving in to to sexual immorality, it's so costly. Did you know all the things that he says are at risk here, the things that you'll lose? He says you'll lose honor to others, years of your life to the merciless, your strength. It's like, it's like your labor like all your labor and all your work and everything you, you work to build, it's like giving it away to some foreigner. And so if you've ever spoken to someone who has recovered from significant sexual sin in their life, the first thing that they will tell you when they're, when they're being honest and, they're, and they're, they have repented and they're in a better frame of mind, the first thing that they will tell you is that the cost was so incredibly high. I had no idea it would be that expensive of a mistake. I never could have imagined the damage that it actually caused. and they they could elaborate on each of those avenues. they could elaborate on on how they lost honor to others and they lost their strength to, the, to the, in the wrong direction. they lost everything they worked for years of their life to the merciless. they could they could elaborate on all of those different elements and they would affirm each one of them the, the cost is so, so so high, they would say but I, but I think. When you talk to someone who has recovered from, from sexual sin, who has been redeemed, who has repented, they would give you that same advice I mentioned earlier. They would say, hey, don't run. And they would tell you, the further you keep running in that direction, the more complicated it is. I've heard that over and over and over. They they, they keep running in that direction. It gets complicated and then it gets more complicated and then it gets more complicated until they they don't know the way out. It's just too complicated. But they would say, you just simply need to turn around and repent and run towards God. Don't run away from him. No matter how complicated it feels, turn around and run to God. And maybe there's some of you here today that you're, you're in that mess. I mean, you've, you've been hiding and, and, and trying to figure out how to make it work, and, and it's just absolutely gotten so complicated you're just not sure what to do other than just keep staggering in the wrong direction. Stop. Get some help. We'd love to pray with you today, help you today. Go in the right direction. Turn and run to god we think when things get really complicated we shouldn't run to god because we don't belong there anymore and that's the that's the positively wrong thing to think right that's forgetting everything that jesus has taught us you think of the the parable of the prodigal son when he squanders his opportunity he he just takes his inheritance and he does all of the wrong things he keeps running in the wrong direction and squanders everything that he has and it's so complicated he doesn't know what to do And he simply thinks, man, I I don't belong there anymore. I don't deserve to be a son of my dad. But I'm going to head in that direction. Maybe I can be a slave. Maybe I can just be a hired hand. Maybe I can just exist there in some lesser way. I've, I've messed it all up. And then what happens when the prodigal son returns? As soon as the father sees him, he runs to him. He kisses him. He turns it into a giant celebration. You're you're never too far gone. You're never out of the reach of God. It's never too complicated for him to redeem and to repair. Run to God. Don't run away from him. So the first 14 verses of this chapter, Solomon's like, don't do this. Don't fall for that. Look out for this. Here's all the things you shouldn't do. But then... He, 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 he turns around and he says, but let me, let me tell you what you actually do want to do. Here, here's, here's what you really want. Remember, that's kind of how wisdom is laid out. You think you want this, but let me just tell you, from, from this vantage point, I, I, I'm more experienced and I know more and I, I, I know how this world works. I'm just telling you, here's what you really want. You want peace? You want fulfillment? You want life in abundance? Here's the path you need to go. Here's what he says in 15 through 19. love the metaphor it starts out with that with it. drink from your own cistern if like that's where water's collected right and the metaphor is so great like like you're, you're going to develop this sexual desire all right that's just part of being human and so he's saying to his son he's not saying he's not saying suppress that he's not saying act like that's not there he's just saying hey when you get your cistern just drink out of that one make sure that's it your cistern that's your well When you thirst, and you will thirst, to make sure that's where you go get a drink. Make sure no one else drinks from that well. It's just your well. And he says, let your fountain be blessed. Are you doing that? I think that's a great place to pause and to think. Are you letting your fountain be blessed? Here's what I think that means. To allow your fountain, your marriage, where you drink to be blessed I think it's I think you take all of those elements that you stand to lose in the previous paragraph all of that honor all of those years of your life all of your labor all of your strength it's channeling all of that that you stand to lose and and pouring it into the well-being of this fountain your marriage your relationship with your wife he's saying You need to relentlessly pursue your wife. This is a poetic way to say pursue romantic love, son. You need to honor her, spend all of your strength, all of your energy, all of your labor, everything to to dedicate your life to this well. Make it as amazing as you can possibly make it. Let your fountain be blessed. Are you working towards that? Is that a high priority in your life? What a great reminder for us married folk here today, right? He says, then, rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. So that's just a poetic Hebrew way of saying, make sure you check out your wife. <laughs> Literally, that's what's happening in the text right there. You think of a, you know, you see a deer, oh, cool, there's a deer. We admire the beauty of deer before we shoot them. <laughs> but. This is a poetic Hebrew way of saying, hey, man, enjoy the wife of your youth. Visually, enjoy it. Be thankful for it. Be grateful for it. Stare at it. I really feel like he's saying those things. Fellas, that's how good God is. The Bible commands you to enjoy your wife visually. That's that's how good. Like there are commands that you come across in Scripture and you're reading and you're like, oh, man, I'll try my best. And then there's commands like this. You're like, yes, Lord. I am your obedient servant, ready to be holy. I will admire her. Check her out. <laughs> I feel your calling, Lord. Again, a scripture has come to my mind. All right, later on, you can be just staring at your watch. you are be like, what are you looking at? you would be like, shh, I'm being obedient. All right. But God's goodness, it doesn't even stop there. He, he encourages us to enjoy our, our wives, our spouse visually. It doesn't stop there, does it? Verse 19. Oh, verse 19. Wow. So, so that verse, there, there are words that do stick out. Let me, let, let, me, let me point out some words that maybe you didn't notice. Uh, delight at all times. This, this is, a, this is a, way, a poetic way that God is commanding us to, to delight in at all times our spouse. Like words like frequently and routinely should be coming to mind. Amen, right? This is another, another one. Yes, Lord. Frequently, routinely. He, he's saying be intoxicated always in her love. He's not just talking about uh, quantity. He's talking about quality here. He's actually talking about quality here. Pursue her romantically, relentlessly. And if you pursue sexuality like this in the confines of marriage and using all of your energy to make it as great as it can possibly be, then you are experiencing a sexual life at, at, at its peak. This is as good as life gets in the realm of sex. Because this is God's design for it, you'll have the most fulfilling sex, you'll have the most frequent sex, the most rewarding sex when it's according to God's design. It's peace. It's how we bring Him glory. I mean, you think like having sex to the glory of God probably isn't a phrase that runs through our mind a lot, right? But that's what this is. That's what this is. One one, one author. Uh, named Trimper longman he says the best defense against adultery is a strong offense in marriage now side note if you're a married couple here and and you're thinking oh we might need some devotional time today uh, may, maybe go to first corinthians 7 that's your homework text and so you can jot that down first corinthians 7 if you think that this gets heated uh take a look at that chapter uh, it, it is uh, Paul's teaching, and he, there's, there's a ton of sexual sin going on in Corinth, and so he's uh, teaching them what holy sex looks like, and so he's instructing them. And so if you're not familiar with that text, uh, you might be a little bit of a surprise to you. Uh, probably don't want to have the kids around in that devotional time, but it is a really good text. Uh, to study. But here's what I think God wants for us. When he, when he instructs us in this realm of life, I really feel like this is God's way of, of allowing us to have this Garden of Eden-esque space in life. Like sin got us kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and I, and I think this, is the, this, this aspect of life, when done rightly, is almost like a taste of what the Garden of Eden was, was, was like, to enjoy each other in a special way It's an absolute gift of God. It's sacred, it's powerful, it's special, and it's exclusive. And so Solomon is preparing his son. He's like, here's how you hold this shield, buddy. Here's how you hold it, and this is going to protect you from so much harm. It's not even funny. Whatever you do, don't put that shield down or you will sabotage an amazing gift that God has given you. Hold it like this, protect yourself like that. And then as always, Solomon puts his son back at the fork in the road. I've given you this wisdom. There's this way and there's that way. But you have to make a decision. you got to make a choice. If you want to trust God and live wisely, here's here's where you go. If you want to reject God and live foolishly, go that way. It's up to you, buddy. You have to make the choice. You are responsible for where you're headed so make sure you choose the right path. Here's how he puts him in that fork of the road in verses 20 through 23. He says, why should you be intoxicated my son with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is a and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for the lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. Again, like, what he wants him to know, this wisdom and folly, it's a matter of life and death. This is why it's important to have this conversation. It's why it's important to say it out loud, to preach God's word out loud. This, this is that important. And so... God knows all and he sees all. We're never going to hide anything from him. He, I think it's important to know that, Like again, there's, there's no amount of sexual sin that will put you out of the reach of God. He can redeem any situation. He can repair. He can forgive. He can make things like new. And remember, when it comes to his forgiveness, it's not based on you. It's not based on you, your relationship with God. The gospel says it is not based on you. That's why you can have forgiveness. If you think you can't have forgiveness based on what you see in your life, you have missed the gospel. Absolutely bypassed it. He can forgive. He can redeem. No matter what the situation is, you are not out of reach. You need to to always come back to that truth. But at the same time, since we're in Proverbs 5, we need to be really honest and understand that that though you are forgiven through Christ, when it comes to sexual sin, there will always be repercussions. That's honesty too. Especially with sexual sin, there will always be repercussions. If you indulge in immoral sexual behavior, it will ensnare you. It will trip you up. There will be consequences. There are ways in which those repercussions, this side of heaven, will always be there. There's at least to a degree. He can redeem anything, but there's still consequences for our choices, right? I want to leave you with such a great quote that I wrote down from a pastor named Ray Ortland. And his is one of the commentaries that I'm reading as I teach through the book of Proverbs. But he summarizes it so well. And I think this is a great point of encouragement to leave you with. He says, sex is like fire. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. Keep the the fire in the marital fireplace and stoke that fire as hot as you possibly can. That is is sexual wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your counsel in the book of Proverbs. Lord, so many of us here today have made mistakes when it comes to to sexual sin. But Lord, we are so grateful that we can be redeemed through your son. That we can be holy through the belief in the gospel of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those here today who have been wounded. They've, they've been hurt by the repercussions of sexual sin. Lord, I pray for healing. I pray for encouragement. I pray for strength. I pray for, for good Christian community to rally around them and help them. Uh, Lord, I pray for those who are in the midst of sexual sin, who are, who are in the dark, who are hiding, Lord, that those sins would be exposed all to your glory, and Lord, that there could be repentance, con- confession, repentance, and help. And Lord, I pray for the path of our feet. Here's the truth. None of us here, Lord, we know according to your word, not a single one of us here is immune to sexual sin. None of us here are immune to, to the foolishness of going the wrong way. Lord, help us to ponder the path of our feet. If there's a relationship that is outside of the bounds of, of our marriage, out of bounds of our marriage, that we're, we're tiptoeing the line, Lord, I pray that today you would wake us up, that you would snap us, snap us out of it, Lord, if we're tiptoeing the line in any area of life, whether it be on a device or or whatever it may be, Lord, Lord, wake us up, Lord, and nudge us so that we can put that sin to death and ponder the path of our feet. Lord, we want to do all of these things to your glory and according to your design um, as your people. In your name,